I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this is Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. And the team is back again. We are classic date night right now. It's classic because as we're recording this, it is not only a Friday night, mm-hmm. but we went, we went to the movies. Right. And we had protein shakes for dinner. Yeah, uh, (laughs) Jessica and I are currently doing the Whole30, which is much harder for me than it is for her, I guarantee you. Uh, So that also means that the drinks of the podcast are probably just going to be water for the next few episodes. We will do the theoretical. Yes, they will be the theoretical drinks of the podcast. So um, first and foremost, we have Charlie as the dog of the podcast. Everyone, welcome Charlie. Uh, you all have been here when Charlie's been the dog of the podcast before. You know that he's probably just going to get bored and walk away soon. But we love having him here while he's here. <laughs> yes, the guest of honor. Um, okay, so before we get rolling, um, we, s- we need to announce what movie we saw. Yes, this was kind of a last minute thing. Uh, we we originally wanted to go see one movie, and then they changed the times on us, and it's one that's not being played in wide release. So we are still trying to make that one happen, but then we were like, well, we had already talked about going to see a movie. Let's just make it happen tonight. Yeah, and I was excited about this movie. Um, I went and saw Smokey and the Bandit in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch our Insta stories, you'll see kind of my review on, on that. Um, and I went and saw the movie with my friend Ross Sharphorn, who's an amazing stuntman and stunt driver. And we talked about this. We saw the preview for this. And so I'm really glad we went and saw First Man. Did you guys hear what she just did? (laughs) She turned it around on me. I was trying to be like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, a good co-host this time. And I'm going to say it along with her. And she pulled a Jordan. So, yes, we went and saw First Man. Uh, This is one that we hadn't been, like, gearing up to go see, but we both had mentioned wanting to go see it. Yeah, the previews for it were, um, and I'm notoriously bad for seeing previews, uh, for not seeing previews, I should say. Um, But I saw this, and I don't know, it's been a while since we had a space exploration movie. Yeah, like a space movie that wasn't sci-fi. Yeah, and um, I don't know, I guess I kind of needed some some hope these days and something considering that the world as we know it is going to not be here by 2040 and everything else that's going on yeah we needed something that was a little more hopeful we needed a movie that was ultimately about success and i think this one was ultimately about success i do too and there's some things that i had to think and as this movie went it kind of answered some some things and some concerns of mine Um, but overall, um, overall, I really felt that this movie kind of hit on something and I, I don't really know how to put my finger on it, but I'm really, maybe I will by the end of this podcast, but I just thought it was kind of remarkable that it, it reminded me of why we do things that are really difficult and impossible. And if we're going to make the world a better place, it usually involves a great amount of risk well cool so should we uh go on ahead and start rating this movie yes well what's our theoretical drink of the podcast well my theoretical drink of the podcast was going to be honestly just budweiser because uh if it was an all-american man in the 60s that's what i assumed they would be drinking and it turns out in the movie yes that's what they drink budweiser and bush so i was going to say i want a space ice cream root beer float I would totally take that. Right? Yeah. Because immediately I think space, because we grew up, I never got to go to space camp, and it was my deepest dream to go to space camp. I went to space camp. And I've never forgiven him because that is like, that was my dream. (laughs) I wanted to go, but I went to the um, uh, Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville as a kid. My parents took me um, on a trip with my grandfather, and I had space ice cream, and I hate it, and I think it's really, really gross, but... It's basically just like Lucky Charms marshmallows. Yeah, see, and I, that's not my thing. I mean, like, I know that they're disgusting, but I'll take it at any time, you know? <laughs> Fair. So, yes, what are we going to rate this movie in? I mean, I think we should just go with the obvious choice, which would be rocket ships. Oh, 
Okay. Do you have a better suggestion? I mean, I was going to go with like aliens, moons, but you know what? Rocket ship is classic. How many rocket ships would you give this movie? I would give First Man four out of five rocket ships. Okay. Why? Um, like I've said on pretty much every film, I really like the score. Um, I thought the performances were great. I thought that overall it told a really good story. Uh, I had some minor quibbles with it that we'll get into, but uh, one thing that I liked that it did, so the movie's only just a hair over two hours long. I think it's like two hours and 15 minutes. Um, There's a lot of history that the movie is just like, if you want to know about this, go learn it on your own. This is the story we're telling. And at first that kind of bugged me while I was watching the movie, but then the more it went on, I appreciated it because like, you know, I didn't want to sit through another movie like Ray or Capote, which is three <laughs> hours long of just being like, look at this person perform and telling every aspect about their story and still getting a lot of it wrong. Yeah. So for this, I thought that they I thought that they trimmed it as lean as it needed to be. Yeah. Well, in direct response to you, I actually this whole time was like, oh, my gosh, I have to go. So my next few books are going to be about this time in history mm-hmm. um, because we talk about it a little bit in school, but not a whole lot. I don't know what the curriculum's like now for U.S. history. And you and I both did like AP U.S. history because we were smart. Uh, <laughs> and oh, I mean, you did it because you were smart. I did it because you were in that class. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I know that once we basically got past World War II, like, by that point, it was already the beginning of May, and we really just glossed over the 60s, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it was all about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It's all about the wars, um, which is very frustrating because history isn't just wars. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give this movie about a, just a little over four and a half, mm-hmm. over five stars, um, mainly because it could have been a movie about, well, it was a movie, but it could have been more um, a movie about old white dudes Mm -hmm. and, um, Wahoo. Um, but I felt like it told it in such a way that was, that was different. And I, and I, and again, I still don't know how to put my finger on it, but I was very intrigued. I was very intrigued by who Neil Armstrong was. Mm -hmm. And I found that really exciting to watch. Um, I still, you know, I might look back on this movie and take away some rocket ships, but uh-huh. my feelings immediately are pretty high. Um, and I also eventually want to talk about diversity because this was just a bunch of white dudes and there's so many more stories to tell. Um, but I appreciated that for me, it just was like about a very crazy endeavor um, that the whole world experienced. Yeah. About it being about a bunch of old white dudes, you are absolutely right. And unfortunately, that's just the story of it. You know, like, uh, you know, Hidden Figures told the other side of that story so well. Oh, my gosh. That movie, if you if you haven't seen Hidden Figures. I can't recommend it oh, enough. Oh, that one's like five out of five female rocket ships. Yeah. But what I will say about this movie is that they did do that that montage where they pointed out how it was all just a bunch of white guys going to the moon. Yeah, the poem that was. Um, so let's just talk. Let's just dive into diversity real fast. Yeah. Because that's. So I'm watching this movie, and we're in an era right now where diversity in casting and diversity in movies is on the uptick. It's certainly not at a high, right? but it's on an uptick and people are at least more aware of it now, whether or not it's actually a problem that's being solved. Yeah. I mean, gosh, in the stunt world, I still don't get, you know, ND contracts because they're like, well, a woman couldn't be a, you know, police officer. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry. I just strained my eyes from rolling them so yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, so there was a poem that was being said in it and was just talking about how they kept going back to taxpayer dollars. And that's something that we're really struggling in our society right now. And the older that I get, the more I'm like, you know what, I'd rather pay higher taxes and my world around me be a better place. Mm-hmm. And um, that includes the NASA program, which they uh, just just literally just went under underwent massive cuts. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that rang a bell with me because that kept 
that kept coming up and it was like, why, why are we doing this? Why? And all I could think was looking at these old white guys and thinking, gosh, you can't look past your noses. And I don't know, there was just glimmers of that and the women in it. Um, it was very period accurate that the, you know, the women kind of took care of the household, but they weren't weak women. They weren't women without opinions. They no. weren't women that were looking to their men for answers. And I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, the poem that we had mentioned. So one thing about this movie is again, because it is relatively short for a movie like this, mm-hmm. uh, cause normally a movie like this would be like three hours long, Oof. uh, had Clint Eastwood done it, which was the original plan. This would have been a three hour long movie. Yeah. Um, but it time jumps like crazy. They are not messing around with their time jumps, you know? Yeah. But one, in one of the time jumps, they played a montage of like, you know, stock footage and, uh, you know, they had this really cool drum rhythm, which I'm assuming the composer had done, uh, but it matched up with a poem. It was, uh, it was an African-American activist talk. I can't remember the poem, but every other word was Whitey's going to the moon, uh, talking about, you know, the, the first part of it would be something that, you know, his community was struggling with. And there would be, but Whitey's going to the moon. And I thought that that was a really interesting way for them to, uh, for them to admit the fact that like, yes, this movie is all white people. That's just what the story, that's just what the story was. We can't change that. Here's what was also going on. Yeah. And that's not a main focus of the movie, but that is something that I feel they did deliberately because they recognized how vanilla the casting was on this, you know? Oh, and precisely. And honestly, I would have given it a three if it hadn't even addressed it. Right. Like you've got to, we're in a time now that we have to address that everybody was alive and everyone is that a part of that history and it did affect them. Mm -hmm. And the misappropriation of tax funds wasn't this NASA program, but it doesn't take away from that's how people felt. It was in the heat of Vietnam. You know, there was a lot of cultural unrest and I'm really glad they, that's not what the movie's about, like you said, but I'm really glad they touched on it because it really would have irked me a lot. Yeah. They didn't ignore it. And what I liked about so like a lot of movies like this, even like Apollo 13, which I love Apollo 13. Oh, yeah. And both of us in the movie were like, we really want to rewatch Apollo 13 now. But like most movies that are set in the 60s that are like a period movie like that, the only way that they touch on what's going on in the culture in the time or the main way that they do it is by playing songs from that era. Right. You know, I didn't hear a single Beatles song, a single Doors song, a single, you know, like, you know, California Dreaming or anything like that. <laughs> uh, they didn't like they had songs that they played in the movie, like throughout the movie, but it was never just like, you know, oh, here are the songs of the time. Right. Uh, and Apollo 13, that's the only thing I can remember of is that like right before he tells his family he's going to the moon, uh, his daughter's all upset because the Beatles broke up. And she's like, stupid Paul or something like that. Right. Well, and, you know, in the costumes and the costumes for this are really I mean, it's very period for sure, but it's not like hit you in the face like I don't know. They really let they really let the story of who Neil Armstrong was kind mm-hmm. of seeing and by telling his story. And again, I've not read the book. I really want to read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just really interesting to tell this point of history through yeah. his eyes. And there was a lot of POV. Uh, camera work too. Well, that's one of the biggest things that I thought set this apart a lot from a lot of other movies yeah. like this is that they saved all of the spectacle of everything for the end. Uh, up until the actual Apollo 11 mission, uh, every time, you know, he goes up into space or he's doing his testing or something like that. You don't see it in wide shots. You see it through the little claustrophobic window. You see it from his perspective and from his co-pilot's perspective. Uh, it's so claustrophobic. Yeah. And even when, so spoiler alert, we're not going to, we're not going to be as separated with spoilers because really you can look up the history of this movie. Yeah. Everyone, we landed on the moon. And if you're a conspiracy theorist, you can keep listening, but we just may not agree with you. Yeah. We're not going to touch on your crazy Stanley (laughs) Kubrick conspiracy theories. Um, but if you want to talk 2001, you can call Jordan. Yes. Any day. Uh, but when the astronauts in Apollo 11, 
uh, died. Not Apollo 11, Apollo 1. Yes. Uh, Ed White, um, uh, who was the other one? Gus Grissom and Roger. I can't remember Roger's last name. Yeah. But I remember them showing that because that's how Apollo 13 starts is with the Apollo 1 mission. That's right. And it's, you know, a big, like, it's very 90s the way that it's shot. You know, it's got slow motion in there. And it's really, like, it's a really emotional scene. You know, I mean, you I can't say enough good things about Ron Howard as a director. You know? Oh, the Apollo 13. So we're not saying Apollo 13 is a bad movie. We both, like, are yeah. probably going to watch it tomorrow. Yeah, but... this, it's just that this is what we have to base it off of. But right. when, when Apollo, when the Apollo 1 astronauts are killed in the fire in this movie, l- literally... It's done without music. You start seeing, you start by seeing the fire take over the cockpit a little bit, but their death moment is literally no music. You're outside, you see the hatch that wouldn't open, and then it just kind of pops like a bag of popcorn. And, and then you just sit there and it marinates on that. And well, moreover, it starts and you are in, like you said, you're in the cockpit. Those guys are catching on fire with you in the cockpit, which yeah. by the way, shout out to Georgia stuntmen, mm-hmm. because those, just so you know, if you go see first, uh, first man, those are real life stuntmen being lit on fire. Right. Um, so it's very, it's, it's, it's a moment. Yeah. It's a moment, and it's very palpable. That it's, was that was Greg, right? Um, I know Mike Ortiz, John Gilbert, and I don't know who the third person was. Um, uh, I know Greg Della Riva worked on it, um, but I have to ask. I know Mike Ortiz and John Gilbert because we were mm-hmm. riding horses right after uh, this. Yeah. Um, and after they did this job, so congratulations, you guys, and congratulations to another amazing Georgia film. Um, it was gorgeous to watch. It was yeah. absolutely gorgeous to watch. So I was I was curious to see what you were going to think about this movie because one of the more divisive movies in our household uh, is La La Land, Ugh. which was Damien Chazelle's last movie. Ugh. Now, I liked La La Land. I wasn't so enamored by it the way that the rest of the world was, it seemed, but I actually like would say that, yes, La La Land was a good movie and I liked it. Now, Jessica gets angry every time it's brought up. I, I, I get cold sweats. I get vehemently mad. And I don't want to talk about it. So, it makes me like, I like want to cry. I don't like that movie so much that it makes me cry. So obviously I've never watched La La Land with Jessica beyond the one time that we watched it together. I, we're very good at SAG screener time. We watch our screeners. I vote. I'm very good. But I did not vote for La La Land. I don't like it. Um. Anyway, moving on. But I was gonna. I was interested to see what she thought of Damien Chazelle's next movie, which was this. Um. I thought that this movie was directed spot on. Uh. The sorry, Charlie's mad because honestly, right now it's like one in the morning. We saw a, we saw the last showing of this movie, and both of us were just like, do we really want to record the podcast right now? Yeah. But we knew that we had to for our faithful listeners. <laughs> uh. But I thought that one thing that I thought about a quarter way through the movie is that, wow, this is so different than La La Land, obviously, but it's not, it's not stylized the way La La Land was. And then yeah. about halfway through the movie, I realized, oh, this movie is just as stylized as La La Land. It's just a completely different style. It's so stylized. I'm pretty sure it was shot on film. Mm-hmm. It felt that way, at least. Yeah. Digital film, but... Well, I know that they had like the IMAX uh, logos at the end of the movie, so there there were probably moments of it that were shot in IMAX. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I bet this was awesome on IMAX. I'm sure it was awesome. It would have been awesome to see it in IMAX. This, I'm so glad I didn't know it was directed by him. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I I don't. This is one of the reasons I don't try to research movies too hard before I go see them because if it's someone that I'm like I don't know, um, I will. I will watch for their, what I call, what I think their flaws are. And I vehemently don't like a La La Land. Um, but this was, ex- was exquisitely stylized. Yeah. Um, I thought he captured like the time period well. And again, I'm not saying because it's like, oh, the clothes and oh, the music. But like, it felt like it was shot on 
cameras that you would get in that era. Yeah, and just... The, it was handheld. Yeah, and the relationships and the POVs. I at first was annoyed by it by it because I just it felt like a trope. Mm-hmm. But then as the movie went on, I was like, oh, no. But I guess kind of by the middle of the movie, I was like, I've been in this movie. Yeah. Well, the great the great thing about the way that he did this, too, is... Again, like you start off, the first thing you see is before Neil Armstrong joins NASA, he's uh, test piloting an Air Force base. Mm-hmm. And he goes up and he breaks the atmosphere. Uh, and again, you see everything from his perspective. If you see the spaceship, it's shot from like what feels like an attached camera, kind of like the yeah. shots in Interstellar. Yeah. Um, so it keeps it very claustrophobic. And even though like you know there's not a sense of tension and they're like oh my god is he gonna survive this because you know it's neil armstrong and he died like six years ago but you still wonder right and and it makes you feel claustrophobic and like the whole time i'm there like i would be freaking out if all i had to do was look at that foggy window to see what was going on yeah it's like what it's like watching a submarine movie you know Yes. Oh, and what I will say is this movie really showed why Neil Armstrong was chosen to captain the Apollo 11. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what did you think about the performances in this movie? Man, so my hate of La La Land is not in regards to Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought he... If, if you don't think Ryan Gosling is an actor by now... Once you see him in this film, it is brilliantly acted and um, and credit to 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 the director, to Damien Chazelle, because that it showed incredible teamwork. The relationships had ebb and flow like he and his wife's relationship was so real and. I don't know. Every, it just, it didn't feel, I often talk about, especially in independent film, lo, uh, missed opportunities or missed build. When you have the build of an arc of a relationship and you build it and you build it and it doesn't get there. It almost gets there. It touches it. This movie didn't feel that way. I felt like they earned every moment they got. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Like I never at one, not at any point went, What? I was on board and I felt like all the choices were strong. And I mean, Ryan Gosling, he, gosh, it was something you said, Jordan, like he internalized. Yeah. So there's a shot in the movie where he finds out, you know, like his two closest friends in the movie are, uh, Elliot, is it Elliot Ease? I can't remember his last name. Uh, who, who dies earlier on in the movie on a training mission. Uh, and then Ed White, who dies during Apollo 1. And whenever the Apollo 1 uh, disaster happens, um, Neil Armstrong is in Washington, basically, you know... Hobnobbing. Uh, yeah, hobnobbing with the politicians. And he gets a call from Deke Slayton, played by Kyle Chandler, who's always good. He's always I, good. I've loved him since early edition, you know? <laughs> uh, but... Um, and then who tells him that? And then in that shot, now Ryan Gosling gets, he gets, I think, unfairly criticized for playing characters that don't say much uh, and like who are just silent and who are there to pose. And uh, I think that started with Drive, which I'm a huge fan of Drive. You are a huge fan I, of Drive. I love Drive. I loved the next movie he made with uh, the same director, Only God Forgives. And it was another moment. Did I see that one? I don't think you did. Oh, okay. Uh, it's about uh, it's about American gangsters in Japan or in Thailand. I did not see that. It's it's a weird movie, but I like it. But uh, it's another one where you know people were saying, oh, he's just posing, you know. And he tends to play characters that don't say much. He tends to play silent characters. But in that shot where uh, he's told that his friends are dead, he internalizes and he literally does not change his expression. But you, something about it, though, is like he can express so much without expressing it in his face. It, yeah. it makes no sense to me. And I don't think there are many other actors who can pull that off, but he can. And like the, you know, the buildup of that scene is that you find out later that he had like crushed the wine glass in his hand and cut his hand open. Uh, but even without that, had they not put that in the movie, I would have completely gotten that. Like it was, 
it was such a powerful lack of expression and I knew exactly what was going on. And there's yeah. a, there's a moment where he's uh, test piloting the lunar lander that they, that they built a version of for him to test in the desert. And he crashes afterwards. And, you know, he's, he's kind of having, um, he's, you know, butting heads with the heads of NASA right after that, because he's basically saying, cause they're like, well, you know, you have to be more careful, you know, what, what's the risk you like, you know, how, how much is it worth? And this is after all of his, his friends have died. And he's just like, I think we're way beyond that now. And he goes home and he's still all bloody and everything. And then his, he just looks in his, where his wife's in the kitchen. He's just like, Hey, and then he walks in the room. By the time she gets there, he's already changed his shirt. And she's like, are you okay? He's like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. And then he goes in the kitchen, pours himself some tea, uh, drinks about a quarter of a glass then dumps it out and he's just like i just realized i forgot something from work and she's trying to talk to him and he's just like oh no i gotta get this done i gotta do this do this do this and it's a level of manic that i recognized in myself and it's a moment where you get so caught up in what it is that you're doing and everything that goes into that and all the baggage that comes with what it is that you're doing that you've told yourself i can go home and i can shut this off and you find out immediately that you can't do that. You can't communicate with your wife. You can't act like everything's normal. You can't go home and talk about, oh, hey, did you grab the mail? Oh, no, I forgot, you know? Uh, and it was just a moment in the movie where I thought he, I thought he just portrayed that perfectly. And again, it was a level of manic that I recognized and I can go sometimes. Yeah. I would say all the performances were stellar. I mean, the, you know, the bass player from that thing you do uh-huh. was there. Um, but something that we kind of touched on, um, in the car coming home was, I don't know who everybody was. Yeah. They don't like, you know, sorry, Madison just joined us. And uh, now- yes. It's gonna get it's gonna get cra- it's gonna get crunk in here with the, with the gray dog. Oh yes, she <laughs> she and Charlie have started uh, have started playing with each other. So that's the, gonna be the noises that you're inevitably hearing. Um, but yeah, so they very rarely refer to anybody by their first or last name. And you know, like whenever I think of something like that in a biopic, I always think of that movie Walk Hard, uh, <laughs> where where it's just like. Uh, where, you know, Frankie Muniz comes up and he's just like, that was a great performance, Dewey. And I should know I'm Buddy Holly. And of course, they're doing that completely tongue in cheek, but they tend to do that a lot in uh, biopics. And, yes. The one that I always think of. And whenever I go back to a biopic that I kind of liked, but I never want to watch again is Ray, you know, for Ray Charles. Oh, it's a great biopic. I don't ever want to watch it again. Yeah. But then it, it's just like, it's just like, Ray Charles, have you met my friend? This is Quincy Jones, you know? And so I liked the fact, again, that the movie treated the audience or it felt like it was treating the audience like it was like you're intelligent enough to where you can go look this up on your own we're just going to tell our story so yeah this is jim you don't know it's the same guy that tom hanks played in apollo 13 jim lovell you just know oh that guy's name is jim right but it was it was frustrating it was frustrating but once you kind of settle into like no i'm just here for this story and it'll be okay Mm -hmm. i'll be okay um because the nerd in me was like I didn't do my homework. I don't know who these people are. Yeah. If you're not prepared to do that and you're not prepared to just go along for the ride that they're presenting you, then it will be annoying. And it did annoy me at the beginning. But once I settled into the flow of the movie itself, just as a story and as a movie, I was okay with it because I stopped obsessing about who's this person? How am I supposed to recognize him? Exactly. And so, yeah, you do fall, you do fall in and the movie does take you along. And there's just a couple of moments of being like, it wasn't, really until the end credits when it was like John Glenn played by and I was like yeah, John I Glenn no, was I don't have any clue who that was I have no idea what John Glenn did in this movie I have no idea I have no idea well on on that note should we take a, a short break I was just about to suggest the same thing we'll take a short break and we'll be right back have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you, you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back. You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's, R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 
15% off. So head on over to rocks, R-O-X, jewelryshop.com and code date night for 15% off. And welcome back, everyone. This is Date Night at the Movies, and we're talking First Man with uh, Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy. Yeah, I thought she was great in this movie. God, her eyes are everything. Yeah, I was a bad wig though. Yeah, it it was a pretty, it was a pretty glaring wig. It was a wig. Yeah, I um, I honestly didn't even recognize her at first. What else has she been in? So she's on that Netflix show, The Queen. Oh yes. Uh, I know she's been in a lot of other things, but the only other thing I can think of right now is she's in the new, uh, she's playing Lisbeth Salander in The Girl in the Spider's Web. Oh, is she? Yeah, that that's her. So she's taking over from Rooney Mara. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was great. Honestly, I didn't know who it was until, until the credits came. I was like, oh, that was Claire Foy, uh, which I say a, as a detriment to the wig, but B as a positive to her because I just knew her as Janet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She, she, everybody was lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, gosh, I don't know. I just, this whole movie just kind of made me feel nostalgic and maybe a little hopeful. So I know you're a huge fan of the right stuff. Yep, yep. Uh, how do you feel that this compares to the right stuff? It's not even remotely the same movie. Yeah. I mean, the right stuff is definitely the biopic um, mm-hmm. that we're used to talking about, but the, the right stuff is, one, an extremely long movie. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's not one that you just go to the theaters to watch, like you, you know, curl up on your couch and get ready to rumble. Um, I'm a huge fan of that movie because it does. And now I, we're going to watch that and Apollo 13 this weekend. I think we're just on it's uh, pretty much all of our October movies are going to be horror movies and space movies. Now. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause gravity and interstellar. I still, I'm very aware of those. Mm-hmm. Both very good movies. Yeah. I, very I, good. movies. I've been wanting to rewatch interstellar lately too. Oh gosh. So good. Um, so the right stuff is more of a historical film that just kind of touches it touches on kind of the the history of the space program at this time. Mm-hmm. So this isn't it doesn't you don't get to know those guys. Yeah. Right? You don't get to go home with them. You don't get them you don't get to watch them uh spoiler alert. You don't get to watch them watch their daughter die. Yeah. Um, which again, I'm really interested to read the book because I want to know more about how that affected Neil Armstrong. Well, and that's something I want to touch on here in a little bit, but go on ahead and finish what you were saying. Anyway, I, I don't know. I, and maybe one of the reasons why I lo- I like this movie so much, um, I come from an Air Force family. My grandfather was an Air Force engineer and designed tools that build airplanes and he engineered airplanes in Korea and... Um, he, my grandfather designed the tool that makes airplane flaps. Yeah. So like on, uh, what's on like the Blackbird stealth bombers that you see like an independence day, uh, whenever they, whenever they retract their wings out. Well, that, and just on a Boeing 747. Yeah. So my grandfather designed that tool that makes that. And he did work for NASA, um, which I didn't know until he died. Mm-hmm. And so I have all these questions. And um, one of my dreams when I was a when I was a wee one was to fly F-18s, which they don't take asthmatics into the Air Force. Yeah. You also, I think, would have had a hard time with authority in the Air Force. Probably. But if I'm getting to fly like F-18s or whatever fancy new thing is now, um, I probably would have swallowed some crow. Um, <laughs> would have swallowed some crow to be able to do the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger True Lies Harrier jet. Ooh, now that you mention it. <laughs> um, obviously, my life has turned out just fine. Uh, one day I would love my pilot's license. but um, So I think I just have a soft place in my heart for for these kinds of stories because mm-hmm. I grew up with them and I grew up with the people that told them. So, I don't know, maybe that's why I'm kind of in this, like, oh, I like this movie. Yeah, well, I knew that this being uh, this being a NASA movie, and, you know, in the beginning of NASA, which was basically like an offshoot of the Air Force, or it was a bunch of Air Force guys. Yes. Uh, I knew that that would be right up your alley. Um, yeah, and I was, you know what, too, I was interested, so um, I've read uh, Aaron Gibson's Feminasty twice now, um, in the span of 
two and a half weeks. <laughs> and um, she does speak about um, STEM, uh, basically science and engineering programs and the lack of women in them. And so I've, she talks a great deal about that. And uh, John Glenn actually very specifically went to Congress to make it a rule that women couldn't be considered for these missions, mm -hmm. even though there were women that qualified and did really amazing things and then weren't allowed to be in space. So knowing all of that, I was a little worried in the back of my mind that I might be like, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm really, really grateful to this production team and the filmmakers for really making a very, it, it really felt heartfelt mm -hmm. and genuine and a genuine storytelling. And then I'm also glad that they touched a little bit on diversity and they didn't make the women like, I'm just a little woman and I just stay home and cook and raise children. Yeah. Like nobody felt like a trope. No, everyone felt real. Um, and I just, I kind of forgot about all that until I saw John Glenn in the credits and I was like, who's he? Get him out of there. <laughs> so, um, well, it's, it's like, it's like the famous tweet from last year, you know, I'm going to be paraphrasing this, but some people, some people who make brilliant art come with baggage that you have to get past. And some of them are Max Landis. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very pertinent because we've told like three Max Landis stories this week. Yes, we have. Um, we'll save that. That's another day. Yeah, that's a podcast for another day. You have to at least like like and subscribe and make a review. Yeah, and then we'll tell you personally. Yeah, we'll share. We'll share some. We'll share whatever Max Landis stories we have <laughs> privately. Privately. Um, yeah. So, while we're on, just on the subject of things that we liked about this movie, because we are, we'll, you know. This episode, I think, is going to be a little bit shorter just because we both just really liked this movie. Yeah. And it's hard to it's hard to do effusive praise for an hour and a half. True. Um, and sure, there's it's not perfect. Right. But the things that was like, well, I could have done this. It's like, well, but it was such a stylized movie that I don't know. Well, so while we're talking about things that we really liked about the movie, what did you think about the score? Um, I really liked it. I did too. I would, I would not be mad if. Uh, so th this was Justin Hurwitz who did the score. He also did the score for La La Land. Uh, he also did the score for uh, Whiplash, which was also oh. Damien Chazelle. Um, so he's a fantastic writer. Um, you know, if anything, I get jealous of him just because he's about my age and he already has two Oscars. But you know, <laughs> like he earned those two Oscars because say what you want about La La Land, you know, whenever the music was good, the music was great in that movie. Oh yeah. Um, but I really like the music. I would love to see him get some, uh, awards love this year, which I imagine might happen, but I'd, I'd actually be surprised if he was like Oscar nominated for this one. Well, this just is, because it was so minimal. Well, that's what I was going to say is this one, it fit the story and they let the noise of what they let noise. Sound design in this movie was so oh, good. So I would I would be shocked if there was a snub for sound design. Mm -hmm. Granted, the white people of Oscarland don't ever know what sound design is, except for uh, Dunkirk. They right. got it on that. Mm -hmm. um, but every, everything else, they, they just let the music be. And when I, I don't know. It was just really lovely. When the music was there, it really fit. But like I would say that at least half of this movie did not have a score to it. No, um, uh, yeah, no. I also like it too because it had some great uh, orchestral moments in there. Um, oh wow, it, when they were piloting in. Yeah, when they got to the moon, and that's where I was saying the spectacle happens because that's where the camera starts to come out, and you actually see like a wide shot of the ship taking off and you know landing, and but you still don't see a whole lot of it. It's still a ton of point of view. Exactly, and it's not done in like a sh in like an awe-inspiring type of thing. It's just, it's very matter-of-fact, you know? Yeah. This movie is very objective. Yes. But the score during that moment uh, was just fantastic, and it was very Philip Glass-like because it was very repetitive. Yeah. Uh, but what I liked about that is, like Philip Glass, it was repetitive, but it kept building on top of itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but it lulled you into, like, this hypnotic state while it was going on because, you know, visually, even though there was a lot happening... Uh, it's not like there was constant motion. You were sitting there and you were just 
you were just objectively watching things unfold. Now, one thing I do want to point out, and I pointed this out to you in the theater, is that uh, the first time you see Neil Armstrong go into space, it's for uh, Gemini 8, uh, which was to test uh, docking into another ship. And they did a space docking scene, and they oh, yeah. and he did ride a waltz in there. It was very two thousand one. So like, the cynic in me pointed that out immediately. But I kind of love the fact that they were like, you know what? Yes, we are going to do a two thousand one reference right here. So I kind of loved that, you know. Um, I also loved. We have a mini dog fight going. On. Yes, we we very much do. <laughs> Um, I also loved his use of, and I read a little bit about this uh, a bit ago. I can't remember what all was on there, but he used one of those massive Moog modulars that I want. It's a... For those of you who aren't uh, synth geeks like me, uh, the Moog modular is kind of like the granddaddy of synthesizers. It takes up almost an entire wall. Uh, Moog sells them for about $35,000. And Justin Hurwitz was using one on this score. So a lot of like the... Uh, a lot of like the sequence kind of like pulsing bass stuff came from there, I think. I think a lot of the theremin sounding stuff came from there as well. I was hoping it was an actual theremin, like he pl- hired an actual theremin player. He might have. I don't remember. Because um, you can do theremin stuff on a Moog, but uh, it wouldn't have surprised me if he hired an actual theremin player. Because it was beautiful. Yeah, it, it, it was great. If you don't know what a theremin is, go on to YouTube, uh, spell it just in case. T-H-E... R-E-M-I-N. It's it's basically people playing with radio waves, yeah. which is great that they, uh, and Charlie agrees, um, it's great that they put it in there because it's very sci-fi spacey, and so I'm glad there was a little bit of that, and maybe even a little bit more would have been fun. Yeah, like, I, what I liked about the music is that they didn't, if they were doing something that was kind of cliche, they didn't shy away from it. And if they were doing something that was kind of cheeky, they didn't shy away from it. Like, it very much felt like, you know, I mean, this is Damien Chazelle and Justin Hurwitz's third movie together, uh, third feature. They probably have done some shorts and stuff together as well. But you could tell that the director trusted him and he trusted the vision of the director. Like, they felt very in sync on this movie. Very much so. Um, and I just I just loved the score for it. It was very minimal. Um, I'll be interested to go and find it on uh, on the album itself and see how it translate how it translated there. Oh yeah. Um, but I I just really liked it. I can't say enough good things about the music for this movie. Yeah, I just I I thought it was lovely. And after coming off of a score that I really really didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and like in talking about that, like, you know, talking about the nun, we talked in the last episode, you, Alex and I, that um, that there were like a lot of references in there and felt like, you know, the composer was kind of being like, well, this is the movie I'm making. This kind of reminds me of this movie. I think I'm just going to go with that, you know. So it's interesting to see what I felt was a similar type of thing, but on a more positive side, you know? Well, because it wasn't in your face and it wasn't the it wasn't the film and the score at the same time saying, do you know what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Look how clever I am. Yeah. The nun was just like, we get it. We've seen these movies. Don't make me hear it, too. Yeah. Um, and we won't rehash the nun. Uh, what was that? What did Alex call it? Uh, we watched something that resembled a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, thank you again, Alex, for joining us. Uh, but I, this one, I, I guess if it was done in that same light, um, I don't know. It just it just it 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 chimed in when it was supposed to chime in, but it just let the moments breathe and speak for themselves. And mm-hmm. I. Can you imagine if they had scored the Apollo 1 mission? Yeah. It would have been a disaster. Or if they would have scored, like, the the more character development parts. It, you know, about a year ago, I was doing a, I was doing a tour in Toronto with Chip Green, uh, who's been a friend of mine for a long time. I've played off and on with him for the last 10 years. Uh, and if you guys are listening to this, I, I can't recommend enough checking out his new album, uh, In My Town. Uh I was I was fortunate enough to play with him uh, at a string of shows up in Toronto. And while we were there, we went and saw LBJ with Woody Harrelson, mm-hmm. uh, which had its moments. I was surprised to find that it was a Rob Reiner movie, though, because the problems with it, though, is whenever we first got there and we went got there about 10 minutes late, uh, I had thought that this was a movie 
that was parodying biopics because everything seemed so on the nose for everything, like everything that was happening. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he was feeling down on himself and Lady Bird Johnson was trying to, you know, pick him up. And then the music gets like, you know, swelling right at that moment. And to me, I was just like, is this a parody? Is this a very, like the most meta movie in the world? But Rob Reiner tells fairy tales yeah. and classic movies. Mm -hmm. So I can totally see that. But this, like... It definitely had its heroic themes, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I mean, the right stuff is a very like heroic and patriotic sounding oh, score. You oh, know? well, it has to be. Good Lord. Right. But this movie didn't do that. And, you know, this kind of segues out of the music a little bit. But I think one of the reasons is kind of like how we were talking about there was so much first person going on mm -hmm. and how like, you know, it wasn't about the spectacle of being launched into space. Well, it wasn't about Merca. Yeah. It was about these men and these families that made these huge sacrifices and that giant choices make giant have giant reciprocities but yeah and this is a movie this isn't a movie about neil armstrong walking on the moon this mm -hmm. is a movie about neil armstrong and this isn't a movie about neil armstrong the american although there was some controversy because they didn't show the planting of the flag on the surface but the american flag is all over the place oh in this my gosh movie. you know actually one of the most sweet moments was i know what you're gonna say yeah when his son is pulling up the flag on their front porch. Yeah. Now, one thing I will say, uh, apparently w there were multiple reasons why they didn't show the flag unfurling. You know, A, because like Ryan Gosling said, is that he felt after talking with Neil Armstrong's family that Neil didn't see himself as an American hero. Uh, and, you know, the people who were complaining about it, well, what were the first words that we all learned Neil Armstrong said on the moon? One small stops. One small step for man. Mm -hmm. One giant leap for mankind. mankind. Not a giant leap for America. One giant leap for mankind. Yeah. So there, there is that reason. Another reason is because you know they didn't want they did. It wasn't a movie about recreating things, and we'll talk about because whenever I get into stuff that wasn't crazy about the movie, we're going to talk about what actually happened with Neil Armstrong on the surface of the moon. Mm -hmm. Um. But also. The uh, whenever they unfurled the moon, the flag on the moon, it was a, it, it was apparently a nightmare to get right. Like it almost just didn't happen, and it was almost a PR disaster because they couldn't get it up there. It wasn't working with them, and it didn't look right. So like that would have been, it would have been as distracting as if they had started playing Benny Hill music. Oh yeah, I mean if you want to do a comedy about that, then yeah, unfurl the flag and struggle with it. Yeah. It'd be hilarious, but it. Um, I, I, I just, I, and there's plenty of USA yeah. in this. There's U United States everywhere. And, the, and there's, they're always talking about one, a really powerful scene in this movie is where, so Ed White, one of the astronauts who dies on Apollo 11 and who's Neil Apollo Armstrong, one. Apollo one, I'm sorry. Uh, and Neil Armstrong's neighbor from across the street, he was supposed to be the first man ever to do a spacewalk. And right as he was gearing up for that, and he was telling his fellow astronauts about that, uh, he gets a call again from Deke Slayton, tells him to turn on the news, and it's the Russians who have just completed a spacewalk. And he gets like he's just heartbroken. So he was still the first the first American to ever do a spacewalk. Yeah. But he was supposed to be the first person to ever do that, and the Russians beat him to it. So there is a lot of US versus Russia in this movie. But you know, it's not at the forefront. Yeah. And it's that's not what this movie is about. You know, everything shot in first person and, you know, has a really tight perspective because it's about it isn't about the spectacle of being launched into space. It's about this is Neil Armstrong being launched into space. This is Neil Armstrong figuring out how not to die upon reentry. And, and it shows what a badass he is. Yeah. And there's a reason he was the captain mm -hmm. of that mission. Yeah. And it shows you what it took and the trials that it took and the failures that it took to become the captain of that mission. And, um, to be a leader is very difficult and to lead people on something that could be very dangerous. And I, I have never, even I, I'm never going to put someone on the moon, but I, I do, I am a part of things that put people's lives at risk and to be a leader. And at that, everyone on that whole mission was looking at him and it, this movie really detailed and made it very clear that why 
-hmm. he was. And I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. So talking about, we already touched on, I really only have two things that I can say detracted from this movie. Okay. One is that, like we had already touched on, uh, it's hard to tell who's who. And yeah, but again, you get over that because if you're just willing to go along for the ride with this movie, then that's okay. Yeah. And you do have to let it go. Yeah. Every once in a while, it's evil little head in me would point and I'd be like, no, it's fine. Like, yeah. I don't know who Tom Hanks character was. Don't know who it was. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll find out later on. It was the guy who played the, uh, the prison guard on Orange is the New Black, Pablo Schreiber. You didn't recognize him without the porn stash, but. The tall dude? Mm-hmm. Tall, skinny dude? Yeah. Oh, he was such a jerk. Yeah, he was um, at the White House with Neil Armstrong. Yeah. And he was total turd while he was listening to him. Yeah, I'm... I... I My heroes, man, just like... Yeah. I, I don't know what to say about that. But yeah, so that, is, that was a problem I had. The other thing I had... So, uh, so what should have been more of a recurring theme through this movie is how the movie starts. The movie starts with, uh, once it gets out of the pilot scene, it's Neil Armstrong at home playing with his daughter and she's sick. She's throwing up in a, uh, she's throwing up in the trash can and you find out as it goes on that she has, I think it's some kind of cancer. She's a brain tumor. Yeah. Uh, and he's there trying to research and everything. And he's talking about taking time off of work to go up to Canada to try with other doctors and she ends up dying. Uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah, well, we're way into spoilers. We're way into territory. (laughs) But um, she ends up dying. And, like, that, you know, you see him shed tears over it. He, he, again, he internalizes it, uh, which I don't, I'm assuming that was a thing that Neil Armstrong did. But Yeah, but he, I mean, that was great emoting, and you definitely see a change in him after that. So, yeah, again, I'm not saying anything on him. So what I'm saying is that, she dies, and then there's another moment at another funeral where he like sees a vision of her, and then he goes and he uh, he has a great line where you know he he goes off on his own. And he's looking at the moon in his backyard, and uh, Ed White comes up to him and tries to talk to him. He's just like, "Do you think I would have left the party if I wanted to talk to somebody?" Yeah, um, definitely but, an introvert line. Yeah, but then then you don't he, you don't know notice anything about his daughter Karen until the very end of the movie where he had her bracelet which he had at her funeral and he has that on the moon and he's looking at that and then he lets that fall onto the surface of the moon which is a great moment yeah. now here's my problem with it though okay is that just like La La Land you know how we talk about with La La Land how kind of halfway through it forgets that it's musical and then it remembers it towards the end of the movie uh-huh this movie forgot that Karen was supposed to be a recurring thread and then picks it up again at the end of the movie. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I, it, it was on the verge of being there, but when he dropped her bracelet, uh, to quote both of us, leave it to America to be the first to litter on the moon. Um, I don't know. I just, I I got the symbolism. The symbolism was through the roof. Yeah, and I mean, it was a it was a great moment. Yeah, you know, like whenever they whenever he lands on the moon, he's sitting there and he's taking it all in. You know, he's looking at the at the world, which I always love that because you see the picture that they took from there, and everybody or I've always heard that picture uh, referred to as this is a shot of every single person in the world except for three people. I know, right? Yeah. So like you see that, and then he looks over and like Buzz Aldrin is you know like bouncing on the surface of the moon and he's just sitting there with his daughter's bracelet and i think it's a great moment i wish it would have earned it a little more i think it would have been interesting um in all of the spin out moments for the pov i wonder if it would have detracted or kept that theme in is um there's this um symbolic moment where he's touching her hair Mm -hmm. if it would have been like quick you can't see how fast my hand is going but really really quick flashes yeah like and it would have made sense with the way it was shot because part of the way, especially at his at home scenes sometimes and like the quick, the quick stuff reminded me of like early Nolan, early Christopher Nolan, like oh, in Memento. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And in Memento, there's a lot of stuff like that where it's just like quick flashes of his wife. Uh, Super fast. So it literally is a barely a blink. Yeah. Um, and I, it maybe had 
would have taken some of the realism out. Because yeah, this is a super realistic movie. It's a super realistic NASA movie. does not look heroic. It looks like they had the dingiest building in the world that they had to rent out. Oh, I'm sure that's what they did. Exactly. And, and I love that about it. Oh, yeah. And on the on Gemini 8, like they're really excited that it worked and they all take their headsets off and then... It some, all goes to hell. Before it does, though, some guy brings out his guitar and starts strumming a G chord. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And then they're all like, oh, crap, we got to get back to work. Like, it's it's super realistic. It's super. So I, I wonder if that would have taken away. But I'm curious if you're going to add this element of spiritualism. Yeah, it forgot. And when yeah. he brought her bracelet out, I went, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing is that, like, I... I had that moment too where it was like, oh yeah, that was a thing. But then once after that, after I had said that and been my cynical self and moved on, like it was really powerful. Like if you, if you put yourself in his shoes and it's like, this was my daughter who didn't even live to be five years old. And this is my memory that I have of her. And here I am, I've accomplished something that nobody in history has ever accomplished. And I want to give this to my daughter. Like, that is an incredibly powerful moment. I just wish that I didn't have the oh yeah moment in front of it. I agree. And um, I wish, I feel, so they're having a press conference before they leave for their mission. And they talk about bringing jewelry. Yeah. Are you, hey, hey, are you going to bring any jewelry on? And Buzz Aldrin's you know, going to bring all his wife's jewelry. And um, which they never asked Michael Collins any questions. And that's the unfortunate thing. Michael Collins always is the forgotten Apollo. But like, crew if member. he hadn't done his job, yeah, they would not have come home. Yeah, would not have come home. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, kudos to you, Michael Scott, Michael Collins. We are raising our metaphorical um, space ice cream root beer floats to you. And, but I. I think there was the foreshadowing of, hey, Neil, are you going to bring any jewelry on board? And we should have, mm. as audience members, gone, <gasps> Yeah, we should have had an aha moment with the foreshadowing. Yeah. And it wasn't until, like, kind of the movie ended or... And I was able to, like, piece it together, but that should have got, given us a, like, a... I wonder if he's going to bring his dot, like, or if he would have played with it while he was working. And if anybody walked into his office, he like grabbed it. Yeah. Like, or even if it was just like a quick, like even just a quick glance of it laying on the table or something like that, you know? Yeah. Some, something, cause they put it in, in the drawer and it did not come out until the moon. Well, maybe that's a thing though. Yeah. He I, didn't bring her. He didn't. Yeah. But then they shouldn't have had that little flash scene. Yeah. It, it would have. I think it would have been fine if either they would have had more moments like where he saw her at the funeral, uh, and then you know like somebody passed across camera and then she was gone again, or if they didn't have that in there at all. Yeah, because it, I when I when I just said out loud he put it in the drawer and it didn't come back out again. Because that is a line that they say in there. Because you know she his wife asks uh, Janet asks uh, Ed White, does Neil ever talk to you about Karen? No, and she's like, yeah, me neither. Right. And if he put her away, he put her away, but he didn't. Yeah. He was a changed man after that. And how could you not? And she was a changed woman too. And yeah, um, I don't know. It but honestly, like that, like to me, that is what stops this from being like, oh my God, this is the best movie I've seen in a long time. Now for me, this is still a fantastic movie and I wholeheartedly recommend you go see this. Yes. But I thought that this was just a missed opportunity. And I know Damien Chazelle didn't write this, but just because I saw him do that in La La Land where it kind of forgot it was supposed to be a musical and then was like, oh no, let's course but correct. But that's totally a director's choice. Yeah. Because so the writer, you write it and you give it over. Yeah. So, you know, next time, next time, see if you can keep the theme going throughout the whole movie. You know, keep, keep a through line. Yeah, there. because, well, and it's silly, too, to say that out loud, because this guy hits a theme hard. Yeah, yeah, it's not subtle. No. And, and he's super talented, too. Yeah, I mean, I like Whiplash. Mm -hmm. And Whiplash was a great training in POV. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm so sorry, everybody, but I really hate La La Land. It makes me physically upset. Although the one song, the audition song, 
rocked mm. my socks off. Well, you, you have to give it up for that opening scene on the 10 as well. Yes. <laughs> my friend Marissa LeBog is dancing in that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's awesome. If, if the rest of the movie were more like that. Then... I Oh, if the whole movie were a musical, great. But it's also... Okay, 30 seconds. Why I really, really hate La La Land. That whole speech where she's just on death death row and she's going to give up everything and it's like girl you're complaining and it just felt for those of us who I mean we became professionals in Los Angeles and you gave up after five years then maybe you don't want it and and I thought who is truly the king of their craft and after five years. And then you have this person who you love and wants to do all these dreams with you, but it felt like a slap in the face of you can't be in love with the person that enthralls you and challenges you. And you can't be in love and do these things that you, that your dreams of, but you have to go with this other person that's more convenient and maybe fits in that pocket that you wanted for yourself. And that's why one of about a hundred reasons I really don't like La La Land. So first man. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I see I see what you mean there, and we won't go down the La La Land rabbit hole. Uh, no more much further because Damien Chazelle. I will go see your next movie because First Man was truly lovely, and I I really loved it, and I I think maybe your Hey La La Land was about white losers. Um, you you made another movie about white people, but uh, again, I didn't feel like all this. Uh, it and it, I'm not. You know, we are sitting here as white people, so um, I'd be interested in, in our listeners, uh, people of color, what you felt about this movie, and did you? Is it a moment of history, or is it a moment of history that you feel completely left out of? Yeah, I, yeah. Like like I said, the part in the montage where they really focus on that poem. To me, that felt like they were addressing the fact that, yeah, this was just a bunch of white people and and addressing the fact that they that really they couldn't be historically accurate and put a lot of diversity in this movie unless it was a movie about, you know, unless it was a movie about, uh, you know, the women from Hidden Figures, which they've already made. Right. Um, I would say that this movie and Hidden Figures are actually really good companion pieces. I agree. Hidden Figures is a lot more commercial feeling. Oh, totally. Well, you had to be like, these girls are walking in on the heels and they're being total awesome. And it's got the Pharrell songs in there as well. Yeah, but but it needed to be that because these... it didn't need to be dark and gloomy because these women conquer something very mountainous. Yeah. And if they had gone this route, it would have been like, this is dark. But this is a movie about Neil Armstrong. And this from, is a movie about his journey. And from what I understand, that's the type of person he was. He was a very introverted, internal person. Yeah. Uh, you know, and apparently his family, they're like totally on board with this movie. Really? Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I, I like hearing, I like hearing that because I mean, even though like, you know, he is a very human character in this movie and you can call it flawed. Uh, he's very admirable at the same time. You know, he he reminds, he's like, you know, he's from our grandfather's generation where like, you know, introverted was more of the norm, you know, internalizing things was the norm. And you know, the way that he was dressed sometimes reminded me of my grandfather sometimes. But you also think of this person, this, this human being went to a war, was a part of a war, went, came back, was asked to be normal. You had to go to college and try to be normal. You're told to have a family. You do that. Then you lose something you find most precious and dear in your life and told to be normal. And then you do your hopes and dreams and you try to be the best you can be. And then you go into space and then you're asked to be normal. Mm-hmm. I'd be introverted too. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, again, introverted, but very admirable. Yes, I agree. Um, I don't think that they portrayed him in a negative light. I don't think they portrayed the space program in a negative light because the thing is that every time they screwed up and every time somebody died, uh, Everybody felt it. There was no, they didn't have the character in there. It's just like, ah, oh, well, you know, we got to think about the bottom line here. It's like every time somebody died, they were devastated. Yeah. You know, and you really felt that camaraderie through there. So, I mean, 
we probably need to start wrapping this up here, but I mean, I cannot recommend this movie enough. Yeah, I would say, you know, we've been going to a lot of theaters lately and it has been empty, you guys. Um, and granted, we did see this one at almost 10 o'clock. Yeah, but it's Friday night. And we were in a, we were in the suburb though. Yeah, but all I'm going to say is we went to the we went and saw the nun in the middle of Glendale and it was empty. Mm-hmm. So go and you know become a rewards member at your local movie theater. Go see a movie. Go see this. Go man, this movie on the big screen. If you worth can, it. I would have loved to have seen this in oh, IMAX. Oh, me too. If you can go see this in IMAX and let us know what you think about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, final thoughts. Final thoughts is just go see this movie. It's super powerful. It's so well made. Um, the quibbles that I have with it, both both things that I said I didn't like about it were both still things that I re- that I ended up liking. You know, right? And it kind of got over in a way. Yeah, and I mean it's so powerful. One thing I did want to mention though, mm-hmm. so about him bringing his daughter's uh, bracelet to the moon. Uh, I was reading this whenever I was setting up, and you know you were getting ready to come down here. Is that uh, is that it's classified information what what they brought to the moon with them? Okay. Uh, so you know the writer the writer of the book, and you know of course the screenwriter. They through all the research they did, they apparently inferred what he might have brought with him, but that's all classified information and based or maybe not classified, but NASA's like, well, it's not our place to tell. And then you know he never told anybody what he brought. So he that may have been something that didn't happen, but it may have been something that happened, and then they just were able to figure it out just by talking to his family. Maybe. So I thought that that was just an interesting point to make. I guess we'll be reading the book. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say go see this movie and um, I guess really let us know what you think because I could see people not liking it. Oh, absolutely. Um, Really and truly. So if you liked it, if you didn't like it, let us know. We'd love to talk to you about it. And if you don't like it because of the American flag thing, you know, you were only allowed to talk to us about it if you actually went and saw the movie. True. Because uh, I, I know a lot of people who are just like, I'm never seeing this movie because they don't show the American flag. How dare they? They show American flags left yeah. and right in this so movie. if you genuinely have a problem with that, you're not allowed to talk to us about it unless you've actually seen the movie. True. And give us a valid reason. And if you have, if you had a problem with that after seeing the movie, I genuinely want to hear that. Yes. Because you, know. you've already heard our opinion on it. everybody for joining us on first man and i'm jess i'm jordan and this is date night at the movies and we will see you guys hopefully next week